I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 245. Thanksgiving's over. We're stuffed to the nines. Stuffed to the gills. Whatever the saying is. We're, <laughs> we ate a lot of food. We have on stretchy pants. <laughs> when do I not? Uh, literally, one day I said something about jeans. And Colby's like, I don't think I've ever seen you in jeans. I was like, those jeans fit me when we first started dating. <laughs> Because I remember one time he came over on a Friday, like for the weekend, and um, I had worn him to work, you know, Friday. And I was like waiting on him to get there so like we could hang out for a second and then I could change into comfy clothes. (laughs) I was like, God, hurry up. (laughs) Because I was so ready to change. (laughs) So I know for a fact those fit when we first got together. But I just refused to buy more. Jeans are expensive. They really are. This is all that fits me right now. <laughs> that I've been saying that for my whole life. <laughs> well, here's the thing. The way I'm shaped, I have like huge muffin top slash spare tire. And all <laughs> the shirts that are in right now are like stretchy, like more form-fitting stuff. So I have to wear leggings with those. I need them to act as a girdle. <laughs> if I don't wear those, then I can't wear half my shirts. I saw on Facebook, I don't know who it was, but... Uh, they said, like, dear fashion industry or something. There's still some girls that would like the bottom half of the shirt. Right. I know. I said that. I was like, if leggings ever go back out of style, I'm fucked. <laughs> I'll just be out of style. Same. I'll, I, I literally said the same thing. I was like, I'm just going to be one of those people. <laughs> yeah. You know what else we're thankful for? Besides our full bellies and uh, loose fitting pants. <laughs> what? Patreoners. That's right. And y'all, let me just say it repra fucking zented this time yes so thank you so much deborah s from tennessee (laughs) (laughs) okay curveball there (laughs) christy l from texas dana w from texas virginia b from texas kaylee b from virginia candy j from texas you like how I gave her all of those? Alexis M. from California. And Brittany I. from Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tennessee was coming in there, too. They were. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. If you want an episode shout-out and all the bonus content they're getting, like one extra episode a week, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Well, you did something new over Thanksgiving. what I do? You went hunting? Oh, I was like, what I do? I did. Uh, so it was actually really fun. I know hunting's not everybody's thing, but everything we hunt, we eat. So it's not like a, we're not going like big game hunt. Like, it's not like that. Yeah. If we hunt it, we eat it. But we didn't eat anything. (laughs) We saw a few, but they were young. And so, meanwhile, I just sat there playing Candy Crush. I didn't do anything but look at the binoculars, but. Did you say binoculars? Probably. But you know, those things. (laughs) But it is really exciting when something walks out. You're like, ooh. But then when we were leaving the woods, we had to walk out behind a damn skunk. We were like, go the other way. Go the other way. Damn it, that's the way we need to go. (laughs) Don't blame Peppy. You can't be shooing a skunk along Uh -uh. either. No, don't frighten it. (laughs) But you know, I love the cold. Oh, fuck. It was, y'all, Colby was so cute because um, I had to wear his bibs, as he calls them. His, like, overalls. And they were literally coming unzipped as I was walking through the woods because on the legs because they were so long on me. But when he like, he like had to like put me in them. Like he was like holding them. I like stuck my legs in. He like shook me into (laughs) them. You know, it was so cute. I do not like to be boxed in. If you say you can't really make noise, you can't do that. 
that is not for me because even when Marley lays on me or like between my legs, I'm like, okay, go, 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 go. It's cute for five minutes tops. And then I feel closed in and I cannot breathe. And I get those random itches and stuff. I did have that. I was like, (laughs) my leg itches. (laughs) He was like, just be quiet. (laughs) I was like, okay. And then of course... I'm not quiet. <laughs> well, and it's fall, so the leaves are on the ground. So every time you move your foot, it's like, you know, how yeah. however leaves sound. Yeah, it wasn't very quiet. And when y'all are really anxious about something, do y'all sometimes cry? Like, oh yeah, because it's like you're so anxious you cry. Yeah. Well, I was so terrified I was going to have to pee, and I, I legit probably like he's like, all right, let's go. I went and peed, and then I was like, all right, I'm gonna go pee again. Okay, I'm going to go pee. I legitimately did that four times before we left the house. Oh, my God. Because I was so scared I would have to pee. Was Mama gave me a roll of toilet paper to take just in case. Thank God. Because as soon as we got to the woods, I peed. When we got there, yes, in the woods. Can y'all believe that? No. And then as soon as we got back to the truck, I peed again. But I was so scared because it was like opening day, basically, maybe the next day. I was so scared I was going to run it for him. And not that he would have, he, he was like, I don't care. It's one day. It's no big deal. If yeah. something happens, it's no big deal. Like he was so like, it's fine. And I'm like, but what if I have to be? And what if I'm loud? You know, and yeah. I totally just started crying on the way there for no other than I was anxious. Yeah. I get like that. He's like, it's fine. I promise. Like, it doesn't matter. Hey, at least you're there, you know, kind of thing. Like he's so nice and like, it's okay. And I'm like, but what if I run it for you? Well, what I've done is watch a whole lot of TV. Imagine that, because it's too cold to be outside, Carrie. Meanwhile, I have the air on right now inside. I was like, is that the air? (laughs) Y'all, it's 60 degrees outside. It is not cold. It's not. uh, Nothing should be on then, but I mean, I have my heater on. Okay, actually, ma'am, for you, miss, I have to have circulation. I have it on own instead of on auto because you'd be like, it's stuffy in here. No, because you have the fan going. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, I'm comfortable. <laughs> and we're going to be doing Christmas decorations yeah, in a minute. And yeah, I was like, it's going to be that. hot as fuck because it's rainy. It's muggy. Yeah. Anyway, continue with your TV shows. Okay, thank you. Tiffany hung out with me that night of Thanksgiving and then the day after. And so that night, we played Mario Party. I won. And we watched Smile. And it's a like a horror thriller movie. It was really good. People I know have like had mixed reviews about it. Either they loved it or they hated it. But me and Tiffany really enjoyed it. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say, (laughs) you know how I always do that large march to her from Pee Wee Herman because it freaks her out. Okay, so have you seen any of the trailer or anything? They do this creepy smile. Like it's just like, that's what you see are these people smiling. Okay. And it's kind of like long and stretched out or whatever. But (laughs) at the end, I was positioned where I was like facing her because my neck hurt from like constantly looking over there and talking. I mean, does anyone else have that effect out there? Because I'm like, my neck hurts. Let me rearrange how I'm looking at you. But we were talking and I just put my head down and like smiled, but with my eyes up a little. And she retreated into her <laughs> fucking throw blanket. Like, like you know how a dog will, like, retreat its paws and yes. stuff? That's what she did with her leg. And she, like, put her face underneath the blanket. She was like, I don't like that. Please don't do that. 
So the whole rest of the night, I was like, if you are mean, that's what I'm going to do when you're asleep. I'm just going to have my flashlight right underneath it. She's like, oh my God, no. Well, so, I mean, I didn't ever do that. It's just a nice threat, you know? Yeah. Like and I did with you about Heine. I Turnabout's fair play. I know. I literally said, that is like your Heine. Yeah. Because of how she was like so scared of it. She told me the next day that she was so determined that she was going to be ready for me if I did it. <laughs> Oh, I mean, the movie was good, but oh my God, I'm so glad that now I have something else to hold over. And then one thing I watched by myself, it's the new Criminal Minds Evolution. It's on Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. There's only two episodes so far, but I'm hooked. Well, before we get into my story, we got to talk about True Crime Society podcast, where they cover everything true crime from missing people and cold cases to the latest breaking news. The two hosts, Stephanie and Olivia, they bonded over their interest in true crime, and they have an online community from all of their social media accounts of over 200,000 crime enthusiasts like ourselves, and they demanded a podcast. So they were like, oh, why not? Here you go. But what's so cool about them is that Olivia is based in Sydney, And Stephanie is in New York, so they, you know, have a little unique global perspective about them. And one of the things y'all say y'all love about us is it feels like that you're just chatting with friends, hanging out, and that's exactly what listeners to True Crime Society podcast say about Olivia and Stephanie. It's like chatting with their friends about whatever the latest case is. And they have just the right amount of banter, so it never feels too heavy. We would love for you to check out the True Crime Society podcast. New episodes release every Thursday and are available on your favorite podcast app right now. So after you listen to Sinister Sightings, go on over. Check them out. Be sure to search for and subscribe to True Crime Society podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. And tell them a paranormal chick sent you. Okay, I just need to preface this story with it's super, super heavy. It involves children, and it's heavy. So if you need to skip my... Oh my God. Is it heavy, though? It's heavy. So if you need to skip my story, totally understand. Or I'll tell you within the story, like, okay, if you need to skip this part, skip this part. So we're talking about James Patrick Bulger. James was born March 16th of 1990. And for this one, we're across the pond. We're in Kirkby, Maryside, England. So I hope I didn't screw any of that up, because you know I probably did. On February 12th of 1993, so James was just two years old, James and his mom, Denise, had gone to the New Strand Shopping Center with a friend. So they go to the mall, doing their thing, you know, returning things, buying things, and they make one last stop at a butcher's. Now, this butcher shop is on the first floor because this is like a two-tiered mall. Denise had let go of James's hand for just a second to like get her wallet out of her purse and pay for her purchase. And as soon as she went to put her money back in, she realized that James was gone in just a matter of seconds. So she, of course, is frantically looking. They alert the authorities at the mall. And from there, After looking for about, you know, 30, 40 minutes, they call police. I was just thinking, like, is he taken or did he go off by himself? And I saw on Facebook, one of my friends who has a kid, it was like all the things I said before having said kid. Like, 
my house will never be overrun with toys, blah, 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 blah. And it said, my kid would never wear a leash. And then she went on to say, and after like Black Friday shopping, he has this new little backpack, like where you can put a leash on it. Mm -hmm. And Dollar Tree has a nice little short leash. And she was like, so here we go. Kids are slippery little things. Well, and when you're in such a crowd, can you imagine? I mean, how quickly they can disappear. And then also, like, if you just turn, uh, just like Denise did, literally turned her head for two seconds and he's gone. So the police are looking and looking. They aren't finding anything. So they go to the CCTV footage and they find that like a minute and 30 seconds from the time Denise let go of James's hand, he is being led out of the shopping center by what appears to be two teenage boys. Oh my gosh. They didn't know for sure. Was he just somewhere in the mall? Was he, you know, did he slip away or did some adult take him or, you know, what happened? So when they see this CCTV footage, they feel a little more at ease because it looks like two teenagers, like they're just playing a prank maybe. You know, it seems a little less sinister than some, you know, adult that's taken this child. But they have no idea who they are from this footage. It's 1993. It's super, super grainy. And you can see this everywhere. This was a really huge case. And I feel like I was living under a rock because I didn't know it. Um, But this was huge in the UK. I feel like I know the name Bulger, but I think it's because there was a mobster by that name. Whitey Bulger? Yes, there was. Yes. Okay. Yes, because when I was looking this up, that popped up and I was like, I don't feel like that was his nickname. And then I saw like mobster and I was like, okay, okay, okay. okay." So this is going on for a couple of days at this point. Oh gosh. There's no sign of James and all the police have is this CCTV footage of what looks like teenagers taking him out of the mall. They decide to kind of round up the typical kids in the area who because this is in the afternoon you know it's like 1 30 in the afternoon so these kids should be at school so who's kind of their troublemakers in the area they start rounding up those kids to kind of see like hey where were you did you have anything to do with this and the people in the area were so invested in this and so angry about what happened where is this kid that when they brought in one kid for questioning the family ended up having to leave the area for a little while because of like vigilantes oh shit on february 14th unfortunately james body was found he was found on some railroad tracks about two miles away from where he went missing whoa wait i thought this story was about james it is about James. Yeah, I thought he was a bad guy or something. The two-year-old? Dates are not my thing. And so, I don't know why, but I thought you said he was two in 1993, but this took place later. And so, kids can be bad. No, 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 no. He went missing when he was two, and his body was found two days later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I get it. Now, this is where it gets pretty gruesome, because we're going to talk about what happened to James. So, if you need to skip forward a few minutes, by all means. When they found James's body, he had been struck by a train. So, obviously, we know what that means. Oh, my gosh. But there were significant injuries to his body. 42 injuries in total. But none of the injuries were, like, bad enough to be the fatal injury. So, just to kind of show you the amount of abuse that he sustained from the time he was kidnapped. Yeah, 
Does that mean the train was the cause of death? No, he was dead before the train. Okay, okay. So whoever had done this to him had thrown paint in his left eye. There was evidence that he had been kicked, stomped, and that he had 10 skull fractures from where bricks and stones had been thrown at him. Oh my gosh. There was a, um, it's called a fish plate for the railroad. It's like basically what hooks like two ends of the bars together. Okay. Those are about 22 pounds that had been dropped on his head. And the other thing is that he was found like with his pants and all off. Oh, his, I don't even know if I want to say all this, but like his foreskin had been pulled back and there was batteries that were in his mouth, but they are pretty sure had been placed in his anus too. Oh my gosh. So James sustained a really brutal death. At two years old. A two year old baby. Oh my gosh. So my thought though was why was the train how was it so long before they found his body like yeah. why was it not called in like immediately from him being hit by the train Hell, he might have been too small to be seen. Well, that's kind of what I so I was listening to this one podcast called Gruesome Horrific True Crime. That was the only place I heard that, but they said that the train conductor had called in and reported that he had hit a cat. Bless him. So there was a call from the train conductor. Because if you remember my story last week, it, I mean, like, the train halts. Like, it, you know, yeah. if it hits something like that, like, it hits a body. Like, they stop. They don't just keep going. So that's yeah. why I was like, how was it not reported? But yeah. according to that one podcast, that's why. You know what this reminds me of? That story you did where it was a teenage boy who killed a lot of little boys. But he was found guilty because he killed a girl and he stuffed her in the closet. Yes. And whatever. Yes. But like, yeah, he was a teenage boy and he did God awful things to these boys. So the police have nothing as far as really leads to like who did this. But then police get an anonymous phone call. The caller says, look, I don't know if this is anything, but I was over at my friend's house and her son came home and he just looked kind of disheveled. He had skipped school that day and he had some blue paint on his jacket. But I don't know if it's anything, but I thought maybe y'all should know. So the police were like, thanks for the tip. And they decide to check it out. Well, yeah, because especially if it's blue paint that's been thrown in James's eye. Exactly. So police get to the home of John Venables. And John and his friend, Robert Thompson, had skipped school that Friday. They called the headmaster and was like, hey, were they there? And she was like, no. Gives a little information about them. But what shocked the police the most was that John and Robert are only 10 years old. Damn. So they're like, no way these 10-year-olds could have done this to James. Mm-hmm. So the police bring both boys in for interviews. Both of their mothers are present, and they have an attorney present as well. So it's all above board, and they start interrogating them. Now, of course, with kids, you're going to interrogate them very differently. you got to get them to like you, you know, all the things. And, y'all, there is a 60 Minutes on YouTube about this. Y'all need to go watch it. It has so much of the interrogations in it. And just hearing their little kid voices, it's like, how in the fuck? 
How in the fuck could these two children brutally murder James, a two-year-old? Like, they are 10, and they, they sound like little kids. Like, they are little. And initially, in their interviews, they are both turning on each other. And by that, I mean blaming each other. They deny, and then they'll admit a little bit, and then they deny, and then they'll admit a little bit. You know, they're both a little manipulative in the way that they, and this is coming from one of the investigators, in the way that they will, like, cry when kind of confronted with something that they know, like, shit kind of gotcha moments. But the police now, because they've taken them into custody and they're able to search, like, their shoes and their clothes and all of that, they're gathering this evidence. One of the pairs of shoes, which in the 60 Minutes, they called them trainers. And I was like, I thought trainers were like tennis shoes. This looked like, almost looked like Doc Martens to me, but not like boots. Like, you know what I'm talking about? But they had like a little D-ring on them that the laces looped into. And when they collected the shoes, left them tied, everything exactly the way they were. The impressions from the little D-rings that the shoes, that the laces were tied in, matched up with the impressions on baby James's face oh my gosh their jackets had blue paint on them had blood on their shoes like there was mounting physical evidence so this is what we know because I'm not going to go into this a ton this is a terrible story there's way 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 more information out there if you want like I said that 60 minutes about their interviews and stuff but they never said like this is why But we know that John had a really tough upbringing with lots of violence, which, of course, that does not excuse any of his behavior. It felt to me a little more like Robert was a little bit more of the follower. But John was really in his interview like that was Robert. Robert did it. Robert did it. Robert did it. But again, Robert did the same thing. In the interview, though, they asked, like, had you seen them throughout the day? And it was almost like they were at the mall hunting for someone to abduct because they even mentioned how they saw Denise and James on the escalator. Like it wasn't like that was the very first time they saw him was that butcher and they were like, hey, come here, you know. That is so creepy. While they were at the mall, we know that they shoplifted stuff like candy. We know that they shoplifted batteries and the blue paint. Like, we know they shoplifted that. And that was kind of one of the smoking guns with them was that we know they shoplifted it, it was on their clothes, and it was on James. It's such a weird thing to throw paint on someone and stuff. Which, it makes sense that they're just kids. So, at first, the boys were saying that they weren't at the mall. Because, again, the, the CCTV footage, it was so grainy. The only way you were able to identify that was James was based on what he was wearing. Like, you could not see any facial features. So, they had to put them at the mall. One of the shop owners remembered them, like, kind of, like, looking in the window. And so, they got their fingerprints off of one of the storefront's windows to be like, no, you were there. At first, when the boys took James from the shopping mall, they took him to this canal. That's where police initially thought he was. Like, had he just wandered off into this canal? Wasn't a whole lot, like, blocking him from falling into it. They had talked about, like, wanting to push him in that canal. And eventually, they did kind of push him and where he, like, dropped on his head and had a big cut on his face. And he started crying. So, he, like, had a gash on his head while they're walking this two and a half miles to where he was eventually murdered. 
to make things worse, when this went to trial, the prosecutors called in 38 witnesses that saw the boys walking with James. Oh my gosh. And some of them even kind of intervened. They saw this two-year-old. I mean, think of how small a two-year-old is with this gash on his face, walking with these two boys and he's crying. And so some people stopped him and said like, what's going on? Is he okay? And they're like, yeah, it's my little brother. He just fell and hit his head. He's fine. We're taking him home. And so they're like, okay. And then some people were like, are you okay? And James, who of course is two and try to get a two-year-old to say anything that they don't want to say, but they ask him if he's okay and he doesn't answer. And Robert and John would be like, oh, he's lost. We're taking him to the police station. This one witness was even like, okay, well, the police station's like right here. And they're like, yeah, 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 we're taking him. And they started walking in the opposite direction. Oh, my God. And she like called out to him, but they ignored her and kept walking. So she was like, oh, okay. And she kept on about her day. So there were all of these instances where people could have stopped it mm-hmm. but they didn't which i mean i can kind of understand it's it's nobody's fault except for the two that murdered him right but it's like what would you do i mean i probably wouldn't have thought anything of it just because one i don't know ages so i wouldn't know no these boys like the police were talking about it on the 60 minutes and they were saying like you know when they came out they were like holy shit we knew they were kids but they're so little. And I think it was Robert that they said, like, he looked like he was eight. Like, he was... So, think Cole. Yeah. He's little. Like, he looked young. But my thinking is, if people are walking on the side of the street or wherever, and I see three kids, I'm not really going to think that much of it. Especially right. back then, because people walked a lot more, you right. know, and... Well, I'm sorry, I totally interrupted you. But yeah, if you saw a kid like bawling their eyes out with this an adult that looks like they're like dragging them, you might be more likely yeah. to be like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Right. Yada, yada, yada. If three kids are walking and they're like, yes, my little brother, he just bonked his head. I'm taking him to my mom. You'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Now I'd be more like, oh, well, I'll take him to the police station. To if they were people. lost. Yeah. Yes. Because it'd be like, hey, y'all go on without your, like, go on with your day. I'll, I'll take him. I'll help him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I heard again on that podcast, you know, you start, you listen to so many things about it, you forget what you listen to what on. Yeah. But they did say that um, one little area that they came to, there was somebody like walking a dog and somebody with a kid in a stroller or something. And they kind of crossed paths kind of all together. And they're like, well, I'll take him to the police station if you can watch my kid. And the person with the dog was like, well, my dog doesn't like kids. And they're like, oh, okay. All right. We all take him. Just like time and time again, where it was like something could have been done. But also like it's a smaller town from what I gather. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But it just feel has like a smaller town feel. Like you've got these kids; they seem like they know what they're doing. You know, they. Yeah, I don't know. It just. Yeah. I can kind of. I'm like you. If they were like, "Hey, he's lost. I'm taking him to the police station." That I feel like I would be more like, "Let me help you." Yeah. Versus the, it's my little brother. He hit his head. I'm taking him home. Yeah, that I would have been like, "Kids will be kids." Yeah. So with them being kids too. What they had to prove was that they knew what they were doing. They had to know right from wrong, basically. Because these are the youngest kids that have been charged with anything in, like, over a century. So, they got to get this right. You know, these are children. This, honestly, this just reminded me so much of Brennan Dassey. Because Robert Thompson asked the police, like, if they were going to take James to the hospital to, like, make him alive again. 
And then um, one of them, I can't remember which one it was, was like, okay, can I go home tonight? Like, can I go home now? And it's like, you're, you're, you're not going anywhere yeah. kind of thing. You know, they said like, we don't know yet, but like, bro, you killed somebody. You're yeah. not going anywhere. So they eventually charged the kids and they were calling them child A and child B to protect them because during the trial, there were over 500 people outside of the courtroom protesting because they wanted to just like overturn the vans that the boys were in. Like it was vigilantes were out for these kids. People wanted them to be sentenced to death. Like, it was a really hard time for people because it's like this two-year-old that, I mean, brutally murdered. Yeah. And then to find out it's two kids, you know, it just was just an awful situation all around. It was almost like a mob mentality. Mm-hmm. Both boys ended up being found guilty, and they were sentenced to be detained at Her Majesty's pleasure. So, basically, there's no, like, end date. mm Part of you wants to be like, who gives a fuck? They brutally murdered James. But then on the flip side, it's like, they're still children. But like on the flip side, it's like, they brutally murdered yeah, James. Like they're, it's such they're murderers. A, yeah, it's so hard to wrap your brain around, you know, around this crime. But John, when, during the trial, when he would go back to his cell, basically, he would like strip all of his clothes off and say, I can smell James on him. And was like super scared James was going to haunt him. And Good. Yeah, you have a soft spot for kids, and I'm like, fucking murderer. But but it's true, though, you know? Here's the thing, how it's like, did they know this was wrong or not? Yes, they did. Because did they do it to themselves? No. You know it's going to hurt throwing paint in someone's eye. You know it's going to hurt doing all the terrible things they did to him. Well, and when they were sentenced, they kept being like, you're going to spend many, many years in prison, blah, blah, blah. Well, the boys were actually sentenced to, like, a boys' group home kind of thing. Not even, like, juvenile jail. Mm -hmm. Much less, I mean, hell, here, they could even be put in adult prison. Yeah. Or held in a juvenile detention center until they're 18 and then shipped to an adult prison. Yeah. That wasn't the case for these boys. They spent eight years in, basically, a boys' home where they did get extensive help. They got a lot of counseling services and all the things. And they were both released after just eight years in 2001. I keep thinking this was like in the 1930s. That's how I was like, back in that time, people still walked a lot and did all the things. And it was like, no, that was in 93, Donna. I mean, people did still walk more and like I was out and about with Tiffany as a kid. But so when you said eight years and it was in the 2000s, I was like, wait, what? Basically, everything I read, it seemed like Robert Thompson was the one that was more like the nicer of the two, for lack of a better word. Like Mm -hmm. he was the one that felt more guilty about it, like actually felt guilty about it. Whereas John Venables just seemed more like haunted by it, but not in the I did something really bad. Like, you know, you see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Whereas Robert seemed to be actually get a lot out of the boys home and grow and isn't the same person he was at 10 as when he was released. Like he grew a lot and, and the treatments really helped him and all of that. Still a murderer, but go ahead. Whereas John apparently like had sex with this female worker there and she like lost her job and all this stuff. Like he was, he's the true troublemaker of yeah. the two. Yeah. Like in the Wikipedia, it like called him like the Pod Piper, you know? Yeah. So after they were released, 
they were given lifelong anonymity. That makes me so mad. But, I know. But I get it because they were kids and all that mom mentality before. I They would literally that. die. Yeah. So they were given new identities. Robert has gone on. He has a partner now. And allegedly the partner knows who he is, but like nobody else does. And he's like a productive member of society now. John, on the other hand, is not. John got arrested in September of 2008 for basically a bar fight, but then they also like found cocaine on him. But then in February 2010, he had to go back to jail for having child abuse images. It was like child porn, but, but bad, but like abusive child porn. Yeah. Ugh, AKA what he did to James. Yeah. So. He then gets out on parole after three years, but then in November of 2017, he gets put back in jail for the same thing. He was caught with a bunch of child pornography. Can they just keep him in jail? Good Lord. And and by that, I mean like over a thousand images. Good God. Also, John spilled the beans a couple of times to people about who he was. So in one article, I found that it said that he alone has cost over 5 million pounds to keep changing his identity. Oh my God. I'd be like, oh, you wanted to tell? Tell. Well, and that's the thing too, is it's James's family is saying like, okay, now he doesn't get, he should not get another identity because their anonymity was supposed to be based on the fact that they never got in trouble again. Robert hasn't gotten in trouble again. So he still has his, but John keeps reoffending with not the same thing because it's not, but like images of the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's only time before he reoffends in the same way. Well, that we kn- don't that even we, know. That's what I was about to say. We don't know that if he's had victims or not because, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not going to come forward and be like, John did this to me. Well, who's John? They don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. His victims may have been dead. True. So James's family is calling to say like, because he's still in prison right now, okay. and and they're calling to be like, hey, um, he should not have any more identities. He null and void that contract when he reoffended. Mm-hmm. So quit giving them to him. Let him live his life because he made his bed. Yes, one hundred percent. But of course, all of this is still the horrible, brutal murder of James. You know, I feel yeah. like because his killers were so young he gets lost in it and because you focus on like these killers they're young why did they do it and we still don't know the why at all i really feel like robert got swept up in it he did it he deserves to be punished i'm not saying he definitely was in it Mm -hmm. But I really feel like John was the ringleader in it. And in the 60 Minutes, they were talking about, they had some documentations like of his sessions and interactions with staff and all of that. And essentially said like, you couldn't hurt a fly, forget what they said. And he was like, oh, you think? Well, then bring me your baby. Oh, oh. He's going to reoffend. Yes. I really think he already has, honestly, because... He was only 10 when he did that. Mm -hmm. He got out at 18. That's a whole new... He's essentially two years older than us. Because he was 10 in 93, so... Yeah. At that point, it's more believable for someone to have a kid, you know, walking with them. He now knows how to cover his tracks better. I just feel so, so sorry for James's family. Yeah. You know his mom beat herself up, and it's no one's fault. 
but those two boys. I know people can rehabilitate and all that, but like you said, you think Robert was just kind of along because he was kind of scared of John, did whatever he said. I don't know about if he was scared of him or not. Okay, but I feel like if he got swept up then, what would he be willing to do for someone now too? I don't know. But John, he had the rough home life, right? Mm -hmm. That's probably what spurred it too. You know, like I don't know abuse-wise, but it probably did something to him, and that's why he looked for a kid. Also, he had to do someone younger because he was so young. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know, they hunted. You know, so you can't give Robert too much credit because they still made the decision. They made the decision to skip school like they always did, and then they went to the mall to literally hunt a child. Oh, I hate when they get anonymity. Oh, fuck. Why can't I never say that word? Yes. Anonymity? No. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Okay, should. And I'm probably in the marginal group here of people who get so mad about that. But it's like that guy who brutally killed that passenger on the bus. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, okay, go here. Oh, you're better. And here's a new life for you. And it's like all these people took a life away. You don't get a new life. No, I completely understand. Although, I will say, I do understand, okay, if you're not going to keep him in jail forever, if you're not going to give him like a life sentence or a 50-year life sentence or whatever, if you're going to let them out in eight years, you have to give them a chance in society because you're setting them up for failure. Like, if you're truly looking at our judicial system as you got to rehabilitate them, if your goal is to rehabilitate, you got to give them a shot on the back end. Isn't that the whole thing is to rehabilitate people? But not everyone gets a new identity when they get out. So that's just where I don't see that. Because when you let people out, you can't say this one's going to have a worse time than this person. The only way they have that is because of the crime they did. And the severity of it and all of that, that's what makes people react those certain ways. And I'm not saying like, just cast them out and do nothing. I I don't know. I just feel like you giving them a do-over like that isn't fair when you don't give it to other person with a less crime. Also though, when he was charged later, did they not know who he was? Was it always under a different identity? John I'm talking about. Yeah, I never understood that. Like, how did they know it was him? I I don't, I never understood that. I mean, maybe the police put it together, whoever knew their identities. But if that's the case, that they get a do-over of, like, their record is wiped clean, that's not fair. Yeah, I agree with that. Before we get into your story, this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, and they are here to, well, help you. We all know it is holiday season, And that can be both joyous and really overwhelming. The holidays are very overwhelming. And sometimes we just wish life came in the user manual. But unfortunately, it doesn't. When it's not working for you or you feel stuck, you can go to BetterHelp just to get some help to navigate life's challenges. If you're like me, when you get overwhelmed or any other emotion, the last thing you want to do is to have to go put a bra on and sit in a waiting room BetterHelp is very convenient and accessible anywhere. It is a thousand percent online. No bra needed. BetterHelp has connected over three million people with licensed therapists. Everybody can use help learning coping skills, self-empowerment, dealing with past traumas, you know, 
all the things that we all deal with on a daily basis. Exactly. Like we mentioned before, BetterHelp is super convenient and it's affordable. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire to help match you with a professional licensed and vetted therapist. But even better, if you aren't clicking with that therapist, you can easily switch to a new one anytime which is amazing because that's my biggest fear of going to therapy is you get invested in this therapist and it's like gotten your insurance covered. You got all that stuff and it's like, I'm not clicking with them. So I got to find another one, take time off from work, all of that. You don't have to do any of that with BetterHelp because it's all online and convenient for when you need it. There's no waiting rooms, no traffic, and no endless searching for the right therapist. So learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com APC. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com APC. For 10% off your first month, don't forget, betterhelp.com APC. Well, we've already talked about how much TV I've watched, but... I was going through Discovery Plus because I have been binging the Holiday Wars and the Holiday Baking Championships, but something caught my eye for the paranormal. It's a show called Most Terrifying with Jason Hawes, and I've always liked Jason from the original Ghost Hunters, and when I was watching it, that's where I heard about the place I'm going to tell you about. We're also going across the pond for mine too, not planned. The two people recounting what has happened in the story is Steve and Marie Wesson. They saw a home for their business where most saw a building that needed to be demolished. The hubby and wife team have a vast collection of haunted artifacts, antiques, and much more. They saw the majestic cinema as the perfect location for their museum. But soon after they moved in and renovated it, they knew they had to change the name. It now was the Haunted Museum because there were lots of bumps in the night going on. It opened in 2018 to the public. So let me tell you a little bit about the Majestic Cinema in Nottingham, England. Yes, the same one about Robin Hood and Sherwood Forest. I was thinking the movie with Julia Roberts, Notting Hill. Nottingham. Nottingham. Oh, just kidding. Okay, back to the message. (laughs) Do y'all see how she does not listen to me? Look, I just didn't hear right. So the cinema was built in 1929 with its grand opening June 10th, 1929. It was touted as the most splendid experience at the cinema one could have, and it made people in the Mapperley district feel very elite. But the cinema also had a door in the lower part of the stalls. Because how it was created, it was more like you could walk into the balcony part. So all the fancy people could walk in and go directly to the balcony where they wanted to be. And everyone else kind of had to file down. But there was one side door that was in that lower part of the stalls. And it was used as the entrance for the residents at the nearby asylum. And it was used when they attended the cinema. But the cinema closed its doors September 2nd, 1957. Let me talk about the Mapperley Hospital. It doesn't seem like it has this horrid abuse history or anything like that. It opened in 1880 and it closed in 1994. Good Lord, that's a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. 
They focused on the well-being of their patients and their restoration to their health. The last superintendent of the asylum was Duncan Macmillan. He was very progressive. He had an open door policy that meant he removed all the locks and stuff. He changed some of the doors to that swinging butler style. Mm -hmm. And he also introduced volunteering, hairdressing salons, occupational and industrial therapy units. Okay. Yeah. Which meant that they could garden, farm, play sports outside, all of that. It was really to make them not feel like a patient. Anyway, I just wanted to give you a little background on the property that this haunted museum is on. The old cinema building had been empty and pretty much in disrepair for years until Steve and Marie decided to breathe life back into it. After they opened and everything, they set up security cameras in the auditorium and various places And there's actual footage of this old Victorian glass hearse that they have on display. The hearse was hand-drawn, so there's this big handle in the front of it. It's really creepy, but beautiful. Did you go with us to that uh, funeral museum in Houston, or was it just my parents and Casey? I think it was just your parents and Casey. That was so fascinating. Did you see one of these hearses? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. That didn't sound familiar, but... Well, hell, I don't know, because you know how my memory is. <laughs> it was a while ago. And it was a long time ago, yeah. Well, so there's that big handle on the front of it that someone would use to pull the hearse forward. Well, in the footage, you can see it kind of swing a little bit, and then it stops. And then it's like flung up very quickly, but then it stopped before it could shatter the glass. So with the security footage, anytime there's a motion, much like our doorbell cameras and Mm -hmm. stuff it'll be like someone's at your door or whatever and it sends like an alert that's what steve had on his phone so he was like oh let me see and he saw this so when they went back in the next day they like tried to debunk it like okay maybe this but it's like it's such a heavy handle that like no little gust of air would have it shoot up and he's like if we would have used force like someone actually doing it We probably wouldn't have been able to stop it at that force and it would have hit that glass. Another security find was around midnight. Steve had gotten notification of movement. So again, he clicked on the link. He said like while he was getting into bed, he's like, you know, like what's going on? So he clicked on the link to view the footage and there was a girl or what appeared to be a girl in an old white dress. Marie said that Steven was shaken up for a little over an hour after seeing that because he kept trying to rationalize it. But he knew no one else was in the building, so it would have been impossible for that. However, that would not be the last time they saw the woman in white. They call her Jess, and she's seen around in the auditorium. Marie thinks that she might have been one of the asylum patients. There's a feeling of being watched as soon as you enter the reception area, but it continues throughout. People have reported that they feel as if someone or something is standing right beside them, and some have even been touched by an unseen hand. They have a lot of different artifacts, and most have been donated from families who basically say, hey, this item has overstayed its welcome. Please take it. So, you know, they're not paying eight grand for something like Zach would do or millions. Yeah. One of the sites in the museum is a morgue fridge from an asylum in Wales, which dates back to 1844. 
There's also something called the devil's guitar that came from Iraq. It's said to be an ancient instrument that has been used to summon Satan. If anyone at the museum touches it, they feel ill all of a sudden. Another artifact is a 400-year-old skull that once belonged to someone who died from the plague, and that skull's name is Henry. There's a voodoo doll named Esther, and it's been known to make people feel on edge. It's in a glass case, but some people are still scared because it's like the doll watches you from all angles when you're exploring the room. Then there's another doll, not a voodoo doll, but this doll is named Thomas. He was made from the widowed spouse of a man. They used their deceased husband's bed bandages in the 1870s to create a doll. Oh my God. Right? Like like they're like bandages? That's what it said. I don't know. I didn't see a picture and I didn't want to. Shit. Now, Thomas has been known to lift up his arms or to move a few spaces from where he'd been placed. They have a vampire box, a death mask of the elephant man, and a cursed doll they nicknamed the Butcher because they said that it holds the spirit of a serial killer in it. There's also another possessed doll that has its own room, and it's named Martha, and so the room is Martha's room. Supposedly, if you're a male, enter at your own risk because Martha does not like men. So, opposite of you. (laughs) Yes. There's a room with mirrors and clowns in it. The mirrors are from a funhouse. And there's something going on with the mirrors because people at the funhouse would see clowns in them, even though they were alone. So, that's why they put the mirrors with the clowns, like it's a whole thing. People who stare into the mirrors often feel sick and filled with a sense of dread. All I can think of is that pink song where she says, this used to be a fun house. Now it's full of evil clowns. Yes. Sorry, squirrel moment. But pink was um, on the AMAs, I think. I don't know. I saw it on TikTok. And she sang the uh, Olivia Newton-John song. Uh Like people sleep on pink, but she is one of the best singers of our time. But that damn Lady Marmalade song, people were like, oh my God, Christina Aguilera, blah, blah, blah. No, fucking pink rocked that shit. People sleep on her because it's like, oh, Christina Aguilera is so great. And it's like, yeah, she is. But like, so is Pink. And it's so effortless. I don't know. I love her. No, I do like her. Okay, so I can't remember if I covered this story or not, but the Enfield Poltergeist, it was a huge haunting covered in the UK. But one night, the sisters who were the victims of this poltergeist, they had a book thrown at them from the shelf in their bedroom. It's a Diana Annual And I think what it is, it's like the Teenage Soup for the Soul books. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Because it's like Diana Annuals for girls. So, And it has like stories and stuff like that in it. Okay, well, I went straight to Princess, but okay. Well, they have that book there in the museum. But there's something that the Wessons uncovered by accident that would send shivers up or down anyone's back. So one of the workers, he pushed on a wall and they noticed something was behind there. So they removed the wall, revealing a locked metal door. It basically had been sealed up and had the electric sensors and a bar from being an emergency exit. Do you assume that all exits like that, that are just like emergency exits, are going to sound this huge alarm when you go off of them? Me too, because the other day at work, 
uh, one of my coworkers was like, you can just go out that door. And I was like, it says emergency exit. And she's like, but that, like, we always got that door. I was like, yeah, but it, are you sure there's not going to be an alarm sound? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm like, are you sure? And she's like, we literally always use that door. I'm like, but is an alarm going to sound? Yeah. It takes a lot to get me embarrassed, but that kind of shit yes. makes me so embarrassed. Same. And it doesn't take much to embarrass me. <laughs> and even though there's no correlation between that and my weight, I'm just like, someone's going to see a fat girl who's pushed the <laughs> stupid door. Yes. I'm like, why did I go there? I don't, I don't know. know. But yes. I'm like, what the fuck, Donna? Just push the fucking thing. But it would be like, oops, my bad. And then go on about your business. I will say, though, the older I get, the less I give a fuck about it. But like at work or something, that's where I'd be super embarrassed. You know, now the older I get, like if I was at a mall, I wouldn't care as much. I'd be like, oh, fuck, sorry. You know, should have had it labeled better. You know, definitely blame somebody else for my error. But uh, at work, no, that uh -uh. can't live through that. Okay, so back to this emergency exit. It was located in the projectionist emergency chute. There appeared to be scratches on the outside of the door, and they had heard scratches coming from inside the room, which is why I believe they were looking to see what was behind that wall. Well, it was welded at the top and the bottom. So they were like, okay, we can enter the room another way. Hold on. But every time they tried something different, they were hit with roadblocks Now, they have gotten responses on EVPs of someone saying, don't open the door. And then there would be a laugh like Heine, basically, like very sinister. Don't Mm -hmm. do it. Not. I won't. Okay. Thank you. If someone said, don't open the door on a fucking EVP, I wouldn't open the door. And I'm still, I feel like I've become less of a a skeptic the longer we've done this podcast. But I still, as a skeptic, would be like, why ain't fucking opening that door? Right. You could be a skeptic, but still be like a cautious person. True. They have also heard knocking coming from inside that room, so they were a little scared to open it, too. It took them over a year to find a way in, and they did with seven other paranormal investigators. Because, again, they were kind of scared to open it, but, you know, people were like, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, and so they opened it. Famous last words. What was found inside, you ask? A five-point pentagram made from charcoal, a nasty-looking teddy bear, and white candles that were burnt to the stubs, basically. So they installed a plexiglass in the doorway so people could look but not touch. Since they've opened that door, people have complained about headaches. Even Marie's daughter, who has never complained of headaches before, has complained of really bad pressure behind her eyes. So, remember Jess, the lady in white? Mm -hmm. Well, she's not the only apparition in the cinema. Lewis, one of the workers there, said he saw a figure. It's the first full figure he's ever seen. He described it as being very tall and very thin with a black cloak over it. And he said, look, I hate to say this, but it looked like the Grim Reaper. After Lewis saw the apparition, it seemed to become very violent towards women. Marie said she felt a hand grab her, and then she felt the pressure on her feet lighten up because she was being lifted off the floor and then thrown against the wall. Not me over here thinking that uh, a ghost would be able to do that to me. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Damn, she must have been skinny. (laughs) Insert uh, fat trauma. Right. So it really seems like it has owned the right to be the 29th most haunted location in the UK. 
However, the pandemic hit the museum hard, and it was forced to close its doors, planning on reopening once COVID was handled. Isn't that what we all thought? Like, yes. oh, when COVID's gone, everything will be back to normal. Well, years and counting. But the building didn't hold up to just sitting empty for a year, so the Wessons were forced to keep the doors closed permanently. Oh, I hate that for them. Yeah, the last day was June 15th, 2021. They were like, all right, well, we have to look for another place to move to. This is our dream. They did find a new location. It's the Hopkinson's Antiques and Art Building on Station Street in Nottingham. So they're up and running, doing their thing. So if you live in the UK, in Nottingham, close to it, let us know. Not to be confused with Notting Hill. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we get into talking about your story and wrapping mine up, we got to talk about Felix Gray. They're back. Y'all know we love them because they are the best blue light blockers on the market. I feel like that would be a bop if they wrote a jingle. I'm just saying. But we really love our Felix Gray glasses. When I'm editing, I have to wear them or my eyes are so heavy and tired and I get tired and then I don't want to complete it. So I wear my Felix Grays and I am good to go. But that's because there's so much blue light in our daily lives. It can come from phones, tablets, computers, TV, Kindles, laptops, and other devices. Like, that's everything people have in their lives. And if you're like me, I watch a lot of TV and I'm on the computer a whole lot. Well, and like Donna said, the TV counts too. Because at first I was like, well, I'm really not on the computer that much at work. Because I am have a job where I'm like up and moving around more. But I'm one that will watch TV before I go to bed, play on my phone, you know, do all the things. Play on your phone from the minute you get off. She's not wrong. But that stuff counts too. And that can impede your sleep. So why not slap on some Felix Grey that are cute AF and then, you know, your sleep's not messed up. And you know nobody better mess with her sleep. But there's other symptoms from blue light. Do you get headaches a lot? Blurry vision? Dry and tired eyes? Yes, yes, and yes. Right? So if you work with computers a lot, or even if you're like me, an avid TV watcher, Felix Gray glasses are fashionable, but also very, very powerful because they filter out 15 times more blue light than anyone else on the market. 15 times! And they have so many different styles, whether you need non-prescription, prescription, prescription, readers, they they even have them for kids who may still be doing a bunch of schoolwork if they're kind of still learning from a distance. So what you need to do is go to felixgrayglasses.com slash creep to get, like I said, prescription or non-prescription glasses. You're going to get free shipping, free returns, and free exchanges. That's freaking amazing. There's not a lot of places where you can buy glasses that give you free returns and free exchanges. Head on over to felixgrayglasses.com slash creep. That is F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y-G-L-A-S-S-E-S dot com slash creep. C-R-E-E-P. I love that the people in your story were like, you know what? We're down with COVID, but we are not out. I know it broke my heart when I saw an article on it and it said that it had closed its door, but then another article followed that one up and it was them opening the doors to their new location. I was like, yay, okay, (laughs) that's good. Well, you just don't think about how many people lost their jobs and their businesses and all of that because of COVID. 
And I don't think they charge a whole lot for their museum. So it's not like the other museum in Las Vegas that charges a fuck ton. One article said that they don't charge for the museum, but they do for the tea room. So it's like if you got a bevy, you know, you would have to pay for, which, okay. But then also there's sometimes that they do like investigative stuff and they would charge for that, which again makes sense. Well, they got to make a living. Like, they've got to be able to literally keep the lights on. So, Yeah. And now that was at the old location, so I don't know what they're doing at the new location. They might have had to be like, you know what, we need to charge. Which, again, I completely understand. Yeah, you're going in to look at something. So, if I'm being charged for that, I'm okay with that. Especially if it's not, you know, like half a paycheck. I'm so glad I chose this story, and it's not a heavy one to follow your freaking brutal crime yes i feel like i left out a lot just because it is so heavy Mm -hmm. but you can always get more from any of the stuff i listen to or watch i just feel so bad for james having to endure that and not even know what's going on exactly that's what's just so sad like he didn't even know and then his mom denise and just think about it they took him two and a half miles do you know how far that is for a two-year-old do you know how far that is for me so yes i mean just think about trying to get a two-year-old to walk the length of the mall much less two damn miles yeah i don't know how i was so fucked up over your story like (laughs) i have no idea probably because the name bulger and i kept thinking that that mobster Mm -hmm. guy and so like okay james is going to grow up to be this evil person. And so when you said he was gone, that's why I was like, I was pondering if it was by his own free will or if he was taken. So in my head, I was making this whole scene up that he was taken and tortured, but he got free, but then he started doing the same thing. And then Mm -hmm. it was like, wait, all of this is not making sense. Hold on. What? So I was all discombobulated and I'm pretty sure I was the only one. Well, that's what you get for always trying to guess. I can't help it. Just sit back and enjoy the story. Meanwhile, Carrie will try to guess my shit 100%. Yeah, but see, I'm never right. Well, I can't help it. When you're good, you're good. Oh, Jesus. Well, y'all let us know what y'all think about, for sure, my story. Do you think that the boys should have lifelong anonymity? Do you think that uh, John, since he reoffended, should lose his anonymity? Let us know what y'all think. Thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.